0: Hey, ICO fans, imagine if you could skip the hospital visit and use your phone to detect anomalies related to vascular conditions and oncology diseases. Sounds futuristic? Well, Bulgarian startup founder Georgi Kadrev is making this a reality with Kelvin Health. Kelvin Health is a clinical decision support tool that utilizes a mobile thermal imaging camera that captures the heat of the body, segments the thermal image, and applies artificial intelligence to digitally assess your vascular condition. It's like having the powers of Predator in the palms of your hands. Let's dive in as we learn about Georgie, his background, and how this innovation is currently being tested in hospitals. Hey, you're listening to Innovators Can Laugh, the fun startup podcast. I'm your host, Eric Milcher. On ICL, we interview an innovative entrepreneur in the European tech startup scene every week. My goal is to have my guests share their wisdom while having a little fun in the process. Now let's dive in. All right, Georgi Kadrev, welcome to Innovators Can Laugh. How are you doing today, Georgi? Nice to meet you. All good. Always pumped for work. It's
1: already uh, been some hours in the workday, so I'm kind of excited about what's going to be ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited to chat with you. I like to always start at the beginning and ask my guests, where did you grow up and how has that shaped the view of the world for Forget- you. I'm originally born in the town of Rousse, which is actually on the border with
1: Romania, very close to uh, Jordan, and I've been living a quarter with quite mixed ethnicities. This is not super common for Bulgaria as much as it is for the U.S. for example, but we had peoples of different ethnic backgrounds. I think this was quite kind of interesting to me. I've always been very you know, open to various cultures because even in Bulgaria, we can see this phenomenon. I've studied in uh, elementary school in the same quarter. And I got super excited about mathematics. I had the chance to have very, I'd say, good math teachers that got me excited about abstract thinking and maths. So I think this has been an important part of my life at the very beginning of it, to get excited about
0: the things that I'm still doing one way or another. Okay. I was okay with math. Calculus, I had trouble with. Did you ever have trouble with calculus? <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe the only thing, sometimes
1: I was thinking an overcomplicating things. Sometimes they were simpler and I was looking for a more complex problem. So then missing to solve the simplest one. But in general, I wouldn't say I struggled a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had to take calculus three times to pass the course in university. And so I admire anybody who always had problems with calculus like myself. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that I don't say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now as a kid, was there somebody in particular, a profession that you wanted to be when you grew up or did you know at a young age that you were going to start your own company?
1: I wanted to be an astronaut maybe for a week just because it was modern. And when you ask a kid what they want to become, all of them were saying, I want to become an astronaut and then go into space. But then I this ended up at the moment when I found out the book, uh, it was called Children's Encyclopedia of Sciences. It was like a blue book. I still remember the cover. I think don't have a copy here in the office to remember. Basically, I opened on the last pages and I saw a picture. It was not a photo. It was like a painted picture of a computer and a whole page about computers. And I got super, super excited about this whole thing. How it can save all things in terms of time, resources, based on automation, on data science, on computer science, even this was back in the nineties. And I think since literally, since this very moment, I fall in love for computers. Even before it was super modern, even before we know that this is the highest paid job in Bulgaria one way or another. Um, so this is how I started. And I'm, I feel very lucky actually that I found in life quite early the thing that I feel passionate about.
0: All right. All right. Now, how did that start to shape your career path? And what did your early career path look like, Georgi? So in
1: Bulgaria, it's quite common actually to start working while you're still in the university. So when I was second grade in the university, I found a job related to me managing medical documents, actually. It's something that I haven't even recalled since recently. And it was pretty, a pretty good job in a company that's working with medical documents, as I said, and I was very happy because I was able to apply the things that I've learned in high school, also as extra-circular activities. So I just worked there for a year. Then I transferred to a company that's about computer games. The first Bulgarian game, computer game, was created by this company. And I was playing StarCraft back then. So only by chance I found this this company. I worked there for quite some time, almost five years. And I was studying the first Bachelor of Science in Informatics or Computer Science, it's more modern to, to state it. And then I started the master degree in technology entrepreneurship. Actually, this was the moment when I was beaten by the uh, entrepreneurial, bug. literally I was thinking, should I go and study artificial intelligence as a master degree, but almost by chance, I found the explanation of the new master degree program in technology entrepreneurship. And I, it resonated a lot with me just because in high school, I was also thinking about how the projects that I'm working as extra activities and won some national competitions. Now, could this be actually products that can make money and be useful for people? So this master degree and description of the master degree program resonated very well. And this is how I started. And this is how I started my company while was still in, in the university. At first, this was just me. Then a few more people joined as co-founders, no sellers, no nothing. I worked for maybe two years in a different place, still in the gaming company while shaping what and how I can do something with Imaga as the company is called, Mm -hmm. and this has been one of the pioneers in image recognition, actually one of the very first company that started creating image recognition APIs globally. Then a few more startups followed, and Amazon, Google, and Microsoft also released, mostly through acquisitions, uh, certain type of image uh, API services. And not to take too long, but my my la- latest entrepreneurial API, uh, one that I'm very excited about and a very caring father of, is uh, Kelvin Help. And This actually started two years ago, and it was very opportunistic and by chance. Literally in the first week of the COVID-19 lockdown in Bulgaria, A team of medical specialists contacted us and asked, you know, guys, can you use a a mobile thermal camera like this one? Very affordable that you can plug on the bottom of your phone and basically capture the heat of the body. And we said, we don't know what these thermal cameras are. We don't know what COVID is because there were not a lot of science in the very first months for it, but let's try it. Mm-hmm. A lot of things changed, but we ended up currently, since the last one year, we're very focused on vascular pathology. And this is something that I'm super excited about. I'm not a medical person, we took some courses on medicine. Uh, a year ago to just understand better the whole thing. And now we are trying to enable much more efficient and accessible healthcare for vascular pathology.
0: Okay, okay. What inspired the name of Kelvin Health?
1: It's, it's funny that I, I love to think of names of startups and companies. I even given a few names to other companies back in the years. I think we were just brainstorming and you know, what this should be. And because it's related to temperature, thermography is about fully temperature. And Sir Kelvin is one of the most uh, important scientist in the area of thermography and he has discovered thermodynamics, etc. So we just decided let's name the project Kelvin. Then we decided that we want to put more focus on, on health. It has always been designed to, as a health product,
0: but just to make it more obvious. So this is how basically named it Kelvin Health. Okay. Okay. And when you show people, when you show potential customers or clients, when you demonstrate it how it works, what is it that they what is it that they really like about it? What fascinates them about Kelvin Health? So Kelvin Health is very much
1: into the research stage. So it's not something like a product that is now on the market, but it's in the hands of many doctors and many hospitals because we are currently, what we are doing, we're actively collecting data. So for the specific types of pathology, mostly focused, as I mentioned, on vascular pathology, like things related to blockage of your arteries that limit the blood supply of, the supply of blood to your limbs. Basically, what they love about it is that it makes very visible and in a non-invasive way, the problem with your blood supply. And this is something that typically is very hard to diagnose. It's typically the last thing that, that the doctor tried to check. They first check it. Let's say if you have pain in your legs, they would check if you have an orthopedic, corneological problem. And maybe just a few months later, after they don't find anything, they'll go to the vascular specialist. And some of those conditions are very dangerous. They can lead to amputation or even death if they're let, left untreated. What we reverse or what we change in this process is actually that we make it super easy and accessible There's just to show you, as I said, with this camera, yes. if I point it to myself, you can see the blood supply in different parts of my body. In this case, yeah. it's, you know, just the head for visualization purposes, but for example, my eyes, it's very normal that they're warmer than the rest of my face as well as the the area around my mouth, because it's more well supplied with blood, it's warmer. So if we use this analogy, if your legs are not warm enough in certain areas, this literally means that there's a problem with blood supply. And this is super easy screening as you said, and just not doing the sales pitch, it's so easy and it's all close to real time to just see how this temperature is distributed in your body. And I think this is what specialists love and what they, or the hospitals future customers who love is that it's super easy and fast, non-invasive, long-regeneration emitting. But our big vision, to be honest, is to bring this to the consumer. So the way I have this right now, maybe I have this in my home and it's caused for certain conditions, especially if I'm in risk groups for some conditions. Let's say with diabetic patients, patients with diabetes, they have huge chance, unfortunately, of forming blood clots and stenosis, like narrowing down of their arteries. It's very useful to to notice in advance if it starts progressing so it can reverse the process before it gets to
0: a certain type of... This is so fascinating. For those that are listening, you've got to check the podcast out on YouTube so you can see the video demonstration. But Georgie is just basically taking his phone and he's just putting it in front of him like he's taking a selfie. But you can see the body heat and the various parts of his body. So right away, as he said, you can tell if there's a certain part of the body that is not getting adequate blood supply based on the color then immediately that there's an issue that there's a problem so right away it's fast and easy to diagnose different things that are that could be happening with your health so what are what are trends that you're seeing when it comes to digital healthcare that you think will also gain traction over the next few years when you combine it with the technology that you're also using for 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 Kelvin health
1: yeah, and thank you for this question, because literally a week ago, I was at the event, it's called Tech for Digital Health, and a lot of startups from across Europe, mostly Western Europe, were presenting various types of solutions that are, you know, in digital health, very technology-based. And I can say, at least in this track that we were about imaging technologies, it's mostly about, you have various types of medical imaging modalities, like, for example, the x-ray or the, all these have been pretty good machines and have been used in practice, medical practice for decades. But there's problem with the throughput of the specialist. You need special technician to operate it, and you need somebody to interpret, like the imaging specialist, to interpret interpret the results of it mm-hmm. or the actual image. And because of that, a lot of companies are trying to either remove this machine to a more portable. Let's say, in the case of ultrasound, like phonography in a more portable device. Or, and, or to make certain type of automated analysis. Let's say we have this x-ray image, but maybe it's hard for the um, interpreting um, imaging specialist to read it properly, or maybe there's something small that they cannot see, or maybe there's even if we take it from the perspective of big data with enough samples that already have problematic patients and their images. You can train a machine learning model that can automate or at least assist in the process of detecting problems. So this is one big trend, automating the reading of imaging. So thermal imaging is just one particular subkins of it. From a startup perspective, something that's very good for us is that it's not developed. For example, we have a lot of x-ray imaging or MRI imaging, AI analysis startups now literally in the last five years, a lot of are popping out. Some of them are dying. Some of them are doing it. In mobile thermography or thermography as well, there's not a lot of existence. But in general, this is very particular about imaging technology. So put it that way, automating the process. In general about healthcare and digital health, I think a lot of people are now hyped in a positive way about the value-based healthcare, which practically means that in a lot of healthcare systems, the dynamics are super different and then depend on the payer. Who is paying the bill, who is having the risk, who is pulling the risk, etc. cetera. <coughs> and in many cases, the systems are designed in a way that is not necessarily optimal both for the patient and for the payer. So how can you fund those services and how you can maximize the patient, the positive patient outcomes, while at the same time also making, as a business, just as a healthcare business, still making a good amount of money. And as a healthcare system or national, no matter if it's national or not, but in general, the nation is the one that, if you have a lot of people with health problems, there's a huge economic burden about your nation, even if it's not a national healthcare system. So how to align the interest? There are a lot of different services. Some of them are technology-based, some of them are just interesting new business models based, how to fix healthcare. So make it work for all parties involved. I think this is a huge trend that I'm seeing. Okay. It's not just about technology though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned that it's currently, Kevin Health is currently being tested by various doctors in, in different hospitals. Are they, is it only being tested right now in Bulgaria or is there also being tested in other markets outside of Bulgaria?
1: Yeah. So we have multiple hospitals in Bulgaria that are currently testing this solution. We have one in Slovenia, and we are currently signing up seven more in different geographies. know, from Germany to Switzerland, to Italy, to US, into places, and India eventually. So, these are the seven new locations that we are opening. By opening, basically, we provide mobile phones and the cameras to to teams, to the vascular teams in the vascular radiology departments of those hospitals. And we do some kind of research collaboration where they take photos of patients who already have been diagnosed with a problem or are not diagnosed with a problem. And this is designated and annotated properly. And uh, they upload this in our HIPAA and GDPR compliance system to collect data and train machine learning models. Okay. So a lot. Literally to every vascular specialist that we showed that, they got super excited. And this is what kind of positively reinforced our enthusiasm to to keep
0: further. Okay. Has there been any initial investment in Kelvin Health? And if so, what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, so Kelvin Health actually started as a spin-out from this other company, Imaga of ours, that I mentioned that we pioneered in general the image recognition API concept. We started with capital from Imaga and a few more co-founders that are outside of the Imaga founding team. Currently, we've invested approximately 1.3 million into the development of Kelvin Health. And we are eventually open to outside investments, but this is not something urgent for us. We can basically sustain it through our mother company, Imaga, in a way. We also were getting some grants from several pharmaceutical companies. Some of them are interested in breast cancer, uh, like Novartis Oncology. Some of them Mm. are just in general willing to support digital healthcare, like Roche. We won the recent Roche Healthcare Lab competition. It's not that recent anymore. You know, it was in the end of the Q1, or actually in the the beginning of April, uh, we won the the early screening and diagnostic track of Roche Healthcare Lab. So we have also some kind of grant funding, some local organizations here in Bulgaria are also supporting. Still, we are open eventually to, to venture capital, mostly for building the network and the reputation. And a lot of people, if you're not funded from the outside, they're asking what's wrong with you, just because that's the startup culture.
0: So in general, we're open to finding the right partner in terms of investor and work with that. Okay. Has there been a book or a podcast or article that has stood out and impacted how you think about running your businesses? So, you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, sometimes to podcasts. I'm not a typical podcast guy,
1: to be honest, but I should maybe double to think again about this. There's one interesting Bulgarian podcast. It's called Superhuman with uh, Georgi Ned, the host of it. And he's asking a lot of people about just their life values and, and what do they think and you know why they're superhumans because he believed that there is a superhuman in each one of us. I think I've listened to quite some interesting people there. I've been guest myself as well at certain moment. Another very interesting and cool podcast that also is guest video is the Recursive Podcast. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's from the Recursive Media.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Irina, Etienne and team, and Zoritsa and Andre. I think it's very well produced and it's also been a pleasure for me to, to be part of it. I think they are inviting people from Southeast Europe that can share some things. Maybe in, earlier in my career in life, I've read I've read books or listened to books that shape my general perception, awareness and understanding about entrepreneurship. I like Simon Sinek a lot, and in general pep talks and motivational speaking. Though it needs to be taken by a pinch of salt, always. But I think there are good podcasts in Bulgaria. Also, the Start Beachy podcast is inviting people. So I'm trying to learn from the lessons of each of my fellow entrepreneurs, and it doesn't need to be something super mind blowing. But sometimes I just hear a sentence, and it's ring the bell for me, and I learn things. For example, from Officer, and he shared his vision about sales and understanding of sales and that maybe you're solving a problem for somebody and it's a real problem, but if this is not their top one or top top two, at most top three problem, if you're solving their top eight problem, you are never able to sell to them. Just because they're timing, they have more urgent fires to fight. and you need to solve at least top one or top two or top three. And just examples like that, I can have a lot. So I always try to resonate with the knowledge and practical wisdom of my fellows.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, now for just some some light questions so the audience can get to know you better, know your personality better. First question for you is, does corn belong on pizza, Georgie? <laughs> I don't like corn. No, goodness, not at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm in agreement with you. I, we have that in common. <laughs> okay. What is a favorite TV show that you can watch again and again? I like the uh, Casa de Papel. It was called Money Heist in
1: English on Netflix. But honestly, I don't have a TV at home. So I only, if I watch something, if I get a time and priority to watch something, I, it would be maybe kind of Netflix or HBO go. I I like Money Heist, the concept of it. And one unconventional answer, I like meditation. And there are pretty interesting shows that I watch there when I meditate, just your imagination or where your mind goes. So I think this is mostly i would go
0: meditate instead of watch something, to be honest. Okay. And the last question for you, I'll start by sharing a story real quick. Many years ago, I went to go skydive. And I went with some friends. And once we were up in the air, about 13,000 feet in this little plane, and it was my turn to go, I got to the door and I looked down and the voice inside my head said, I don't want to do this. (laughs) because <laughs> I was very scared but I realized I had to go because if I didn't go I'd be I'd chicken out and then I'd be known as the chicken and so of course I went and it was an unforgettable experience question for you have you ever been skydiving and if so what was that experience like <laughs> thank you for that you seem to
1: know maybe a little bit of my story as you're asking about you know I've been as a, as a high school student, I was in 11th grade shortly before I graduate a year and a team of parachute landing instructors came to our class and they say, is there anybody who wants to jump with parachute? And I'm a yes man, as they say, I always like to agree to try things. I'm very curious by nature and I said, okay, I want to go, I sign up and I, then I never was able to step down from it because even if I had my any doubts, should I go there, et cetera, and then I went and we had to jump from two meters in the sand to simulate the landing of a descent parachute, because this descent parachute, it's not like a sport one where you can navigate it very well. Basically you're just dumped from the plane and you hold this kind of, it looks like a big sheet and you <laughs> land and when you basically land on, on two of your legs, It Uh needs to be next to each other so you can handle, you know, the hit with the ground. And, you know, we were practicing. This for me was the most annoying part because how you have to jump from a meter and a half, two meters. And we needed to fold our parachutes as well, just to learn how to fold. This was also bizarre in a way. So I had this experience finally after several months of preparation. And this was extra serious activity, of course, not something that I've done as a professional. But we were doing it, we had this test where they spin us on this aero chair, where they try to spin you so they see if you can handle the vertigo that can eventually, can happen to be in such situation. I didn't feel super well there, but I made it. And finally, the day the they came, we jumped. I never watched down because I think if I watched down, maybe I wouldn't jump. So I would just watch up front and you jump from the plane. And for this, the sand fire shoots as well, you just hang. And when you hang, there's a hoop and because of gravity, it opens your parachute, the back uh-huh. of the parachute. And you know, at a certain moment, you just feel that, that this is all fun. You look up, you see the sheet, everything is okay. And then you just wait for the landing. to wait, you can navigate a bit of it, but it's not very maneuvering. And this was good. It was pretty interesting experience. Also in the context that I, I have here at Heights, especially there, maybe afterwards, I was not that scared anymore. So yeah. the most scary part was when we were actually close to the ground. Because if you're up high, you don't see that much of what's underneath. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe then, okay, what will happen if I just been dropped from the parachute itself? There are some funny and crazy thoughts. And this was a pretty interesting experience. I'm not sure if I would do this today. Being a father of two kids, etc. cetera, it might be a little bit risky. But when I was, you know, 16, 17, this looked fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, the parachute of one of my fellows, didn't open the main one. We are looking down when we have already landed and we'll look back yeah. up and we see the airplane that is going round and around so it can throw people at the same spot. And then we saw something falling and we were thinking that this is, I'm not sure how this is called in English, but basically they throw a piece of wood with some tickle attached to it so they can see where actually you're falling and they can adjust the trajectory of the airplane. And we are thinking, okay, maybe this is this piece of wood that is falling. And then right? a, a few seconds later, we saw white-blue sheet. And white-blue is the color of the backup parachute. Oh, and wow. we said, oh my God, this is somebody falling that actually, he was falling for quite some time. Yeah. And it's not a huge height. It's 800 meters in the case of the Sun parachute. So... You don't have too much time to react. Yeah. Luckily this guy managed to, to keep his cool and off on the, the, the backup parachute. It turned out later on that somebody hasn't fought properly the parachute. And we were just throwing all the parachutes in a huge pile and picking around random one from there. And uh, this was bizarre. And I heard that the instructor that has been up in the plane almost went super nervous because of this, obviously. Yeah. But all good. All of us decided we kept jumping, we didn't get scared even because of that. And even this same guy, he came with his family, and he his just family was there because he his, didn't want to. his family was his family wasn't there. wasn't there, okay. wasn't there this particular occasion. Well, but they came with him on his next jump to support him and not to leave this bad taste in his mouth that this has been something. Yeah. that he should be afraid of for the rest of his life, for example. So I like this kind of support. I'm not sure if I'll be able to do this for my child or my children, but <laughs> respectively thinking think this was a great thing they did.
0: Yeah, no, I'd probably support my kids, but I'm sure, I'm sure my wife, their mother would be like, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Georgi Kadrev, thank you for being on Innovators Can Laugh. It was a pleasure having you here.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a huge pleasure.
0: Yeah. And for ICO fans, tune in next week as we'll have Yasin Rousseff from Escreo. He's providing the most innovative paint solutions on the market with their carbon neutral whiteboard paints. And uh, have a great week. This is Eric signing off. Cheers. Thank you, Eric